When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is Agent Shilke. As I'm out on a mission and I don't know where the hell money money is, leave me your name and telephone number and I shall get back to you as soon as possible. Hello. Hey, Doom Silk. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay, and welcome all to part one of Agent Silky. Have you found Money Penny yet? <laughs> I think she's somewhere in my bed, but I can't find her. She must be very small. <laughs> and how's Titan doing? Titan has been going mental this afternoon. I've been out. I've come home, took him over the fields, and he's just going mad. He's been in the house. He's been barking out. But something outside that's not there. It's not easy to control a dog when he's nearly 90 kilo, I have to tell you. He's a beast, isn't he? And I've just oh, looked on the internet uh, that your mate Howard, lead singer of Shalimar, is on another walk. He must be the fittest lead singer of any group ever. He likes to think he is. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still frightened of Titan. <laughs> Yeah, oh, no, no. He's not just fighting. Titan doesn't actually like him. <laughs> no, really. Really, it's very strange because there's not many people that come into the house yeah. who he actually wants to have a go at, yeah? Yeah. As soon as he sees Howard, that's it. That is it. He, he, Howard, keep that dog away from him. Keep that dog away from him. Now, he doesn't even want to come to the house. He knows Titan's. Last time he came, I had to tell him Titan wasn't here. He was. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't too happy, I've got to tell you. Well, last weekend, Jaden Sancho with a hat-trick gave the uh, Brusha Dortmund fans a night to remember. Let's go back first and foremost like, to Boxing Day 1980 when you boys at uh, QPR, gave the Loftus Road faithful a night to remember when you put West Ham United to the sword and you scored an absolute screamer. I want my one-yarder. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> guy. Great finish. It's the furthest I ever scored from, I think, that one yard. Yeah. Was it 1980? 1980. 1980. I was only 11. Are you sure you got the right person? <laughs> 40 years, Silk, this Boxing Day. Oh, Absolutely incredible. And Tony Curry, I think, scored one from even closer range than you that day. Yeah, we we all had bad eyesight. I think we couldn't. <laughs> we, we had, if we weren't on top of the goal, we couldn't hit the target, you know. You had a but decent they all count, team. You know that. They all counted. Of course, I do. I mean, I do a regular podcast with uh, Terry Curran and we've done his five best, his five goals that he scored, his favourite goals. And one of them was pretty much a simple tapping, but it got Southampton to the uh, League Cup final in 1979. And TC oh, said exactly yeah. the same as you. They all count whether you yeah, score a goal like George Best did for San Jose or you score a simple tapping like you and TC that day. And another player who was, uh, who was very, very gifted and, and a maverick to boot. Simon Stainrod, who played in that team as well. Simple. 
Yeah. Simple Simon. I used to give every player I played with, I'd give them a nickname. Yeah. And the minute he comes to the club, everyone that was outside of the club called him Stanners. That was his nickname in football, Stanners. Yeah. Yeah. And it still is to most people today. They call him Stanners. The minute he walked in that club, he come in the dressing room and him, simple, nice to meet you. He looked, he went, simple, yes, simple Simon. <laughs> and even now, if he leaves me a message, if he calls me, or even if he calls me an answer, he goes, Silks is simple. Yeah. Oh, he calls himself simple with me now. It's just every player had a nickname. No yeah. matter who they were, what they were, they had a nickname. But that is the environment and football, isn't it? You know, it's um, the dressing room is an area that you have a laugh. Players haven't been having too much of a laugh at the moment because football, you know, was stopped and we've had the lockdown. It's easy now. Uh, we're going to get back up and running in the Premier League on the 17th. Villa versus Sheffield United being the uh, the first game, the, the curtain raiser to the restart. How are things... On an agent's setting, Silky, how are the players getting back to you and informing you about what's going on? Well, most of them have kept fairly fit anyway. I mean, yeah. you do. As a, you know, you're a professional athlete. Yeah. And gone are the days many, many years ago. But even then, they were still training on their own. But gone are the days of going out and having a drink or even sitting at home having a drink. Obviously, you couldn't go out and have a drink. There's nowhere yeah. open. Yeah. Um, so they keep reasonably fit anyway, and a few players have said to me they found it quite hard because it's been more intense. Yeah. And I said to you, you think this is hard? Do you want to go back to the days I played? Yeah. You know, we, when we go back actually pre-season, you want to see a ball for four days. All you do is run hills, up hills, down hills, up hills again through the forests. Uh, you didn't even know you were a footballer. You thought you was training to be an athlete in them days. So although some of them have found it hard, they've not lost a lot of fitness. Hmm. You know, it's you don't lose over six, seven, eight weeks when you are at peak fitness. You only need to go out for two or three runs a week to keep yourself in good condition. Yeah. And once you go back, within a week of work, although it may be intense and difficult, after a week, you're finding it, you're back in a normal swing. Yeah. You know, you're back into a normal routine. And all the players I've spoke to, within a week or 10 days, they've said it's just like they've not been away. Mm. And I'm guessing that most would be chomping at the bit to get back because at the end of the day, all that we've ever known as young kids, whether you've played the game at semi-professional, you know, put your jumpers down as goalposts, played in school, played in Sunday, played professional, all we want to do, we live for football and that's what we do. We want to play football. So it's, you know, fish back into water, isn't it, kind of thing, as you've alluded to? Yeah, to, to a degree. I mean, obviously, it's not more of a business now. I, I, yeah. I always tell people my belief and I'm yeah. not saying it's right. I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's wrong. It's my belief. When I played, it was 80% sport and 20% business. Yeah. I think it's now 80% business and 20% sport has turned itself around mm -hmm. because it is a huge business now. But as a player, you just want to play. Yep. You don't think about whether there's a crowd, whether there's not a crowd. You see, all this thing about a crowd, but how can you play without a crowd? But when you play without a crowd, what would you rather do? Would you rather do that or would you rather pl be playing away from home where you've got 35 or 40,000 people screaming for the other team and every time you touch it, they're booing you? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no difference to me, and I can only go with my experience. There's no different if I'm playing in front of 40,000 people or I'm playing in front of no one yeah. because I still want to be the best player on that pitch. Yep. And I still want to win the game. And I think... And, go on, Vaz. Yeah, no, go on, go on. No, I was going to say, you're absolutely right because... You know, we've grown up, whether we've played on play playgrounds or we've we've gone up through the system. You know, you get the youth, you get the under-23s, they're playing competitive games. There's no one there. I heard Jack Grealish on Talk Sport this week and he was saying, every day I go training, there's no one there. I'm playing football and the Germans have been playing football without a crowd. And I put, I put it up on my Facebook page the other day. Football without fans is still football. The most important thing for me is the football player, and that's where I go to watch. I don't go to watch the crowd. I go to watch the football player, and they're professional players trying to be the best that they can and trying to win a game of football. And for me, that's, that's exactly the end of it. it. That's exactly what it is. The problem you've got is yeah. uh, um, not disrespecting them, because yeah. sometimes, only sometimes, they do a great job. It's the media. Yeah. They're the problem. Yeah. You know, even right at the beginning of this, they were saying that, no teams are going to be allowed to play at home. They're all going to be played on neutral grounds. It looks like all the games are going to be played at Wembley. That was never discussed. That was never spoken about at all at the high level. Yeah. No one. No one believed that. But the press ran the story because it sounded great. And they got hundreds of thousands of people discussing it. But the problem was it weren't true. And now you've got a situation where they now got to cause something else. Got a story. So the story is: Do footballers really want to play without crowds? They could not care less. Hundred percent. They go out there. You know, you let's just say you've got a club like, say, Bournemouth or West Ham. Yeah. If they don't play a game and the games are decided on a points basis, the home and away and whatever, they go down. I mean, West Ham get relegated. So you turn around the West Ham players and say, What would you rather do? Would you rather it go on a points basis where you get relegated or do you want to play in front and no one? See what their answer is. And and that really is the bottom line. Is It's not about anyone other than the football players and the football club. Because without the football club, supporters have got no one to support. And of course, it's, it's great having supporters. Of course, they're all part of a football club. But they're only part of a football club because there is one. Exactly, yeah. That's really the bottom line. Yeah, and they go to watch 11 shirts play football. Yeah. And to be truthful, most supporters, all they care about is their own club. They couldn't give a flying about other clubs or players. No. No. And all they care about is their team winning. Yeah. And sadly, is it, is. it is all it is. I mean, it, it, it amazes me because I watch football. I love football. So I love to watch all football players and all football clubs. I love to watch players that can do things that ordinary people like me couldn't do or can't mm. do. I don't want to watch players play out boring games of football and doing what what I could do. I want to see someone pull a rabbit out of the hat. I want to see someone change a game. I've loved watching the Bundesliga start up because there's a number of players over there that can pull rabbits out of the hat. And I think there's a number of big clubs over here that are looking to have them players playing in the Premier League. What's your take on the Bundesliga? And as an agent, are you involved in any transactions involving foreign players and bringing them over? I know you can't talk, you know, directly about, but we can talk indirectly about what's going on. 
Um, in the past, I've bought a lot of foreign players. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, a lot. Yeah, most of my deals have been bringing foreign players over, and they've thankfully ninety percent of them have been very, very, very successful. Yeah, incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and for me, I, I mean, I, I watch the Bundesliga, and I've always liked it. Yeah. I think it's always been very competitive. The game's played at a quick pace, you know. Mm-hmm. They try and go forward. The problem we've got at the minute in England, and again, it's only from my personal point of view. Yeah. People tell me how much quicker and fitter players are now than when I played. Yeah? Yeah, I don't agree well, with that. I've not seen any. No, I don't agree I've with that. I've not seen anyone who's anywhere near as fit as the players. I mean, I can only take myself. I was yeah. always a fantastic athlete. I mean, I, I when I was 15, I won the Southern England Championships over 100 metres, 200 metres, 1,500 metres and across country. Blimey. Yeah. Um, and I was always an incredible runner. If you speak to any players that ever played with me, mm-hmm. they'll say to me, over 50 yards, I was like lightning. And if I ran five miles, they'd all give up. Yep. Because it was, I, I could just run forever. Mm. But players in, in my day were incredibly fit. I mean, you were playing on pitches that were mud for yep. over 50% of the time. Yep. You were one substitute. That's it. Yeah. Not yeah. three. Not three of them. Not sitting there with eight people on the bench and they got a choice of three. Mm. There was one. So majority of the time, if you started that game, unless you were very unlucky, you were either having a nightmare or you got injured. You were finishing the game. Yeah. yeah. And you never stopped going forward. And when I look at football today, and it does drive me mad at times when all you hear on the side, especially sometimes I go to young games. Like play like the young teams drives you mad. All you can hear is keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball. Mm. Do you know in the last four years, five years, I've never heard one person on the side when someone gets the ball say, "Look forward, make something happen, Absolutely. make something happen." Yep. You never hear it. All yep. you hear is keep the ball, get they go sideways, backwards, backwards, sideways, side. Drives you mad. You know, yep. I watched the game last year involving a Premier League club, a big club. They Threw the ball out the back. Goalkeeper threw the ball out. The 18th pass was back to the goalkeeper. Yeah. He, it was a little bit short, so he got closed down. He's got there quick and hit it. And it's gone out of play about 10 or 15 yards inside his own half. Mm. So they've gone 19 passes to give away a throw-in and not even got into the halfway in the other team's half. Yeah. And I find some of the football now, I wouldn't say boring. I'd find it uncompetitive mm. and a lack of reason for a lot of passes that players make. Yep. You know, the, the, one of the worst things that's come into football without any question at all, no question is statistics. Statistics of semi-killed football. When you look at a statistic and you see a player has kept the ball for 90% of the time, mm. what does it actually mean? Uh, you know, if he's kept the ball for 90% of the time, did he make the right pass? Or did he just knock it five yards for the sake of knocking it at five yards? You know, a great example was a player who was a fantastic player. And a lot of these passes, I mean, I remember one game, 
two of his passes were knocked out of play for corners. So therefore, on the statistics, he gave the ball away twice. And both of them were like 40-yard passes. Yep. And he tried to split the defence open. And once the, the left-back came round on the cover and slid it for a corner, once the centre-half got there and slid it for a corner. So therefore, his statistics show that those two passes, he gave the ball away. Mm. But from both corners, one corner they got a penalty from and scored, and the other corner they scored from. So without them passes, they don't score two goals. And that was Paul Scholes. Yep. Now, Paul Scholes was a fantastic player. But his retention of the ball wasn't 90% because he was always looking to hurt the opposition. You know, and no one looks at that. No one goes, well, you know, is it 60-yard pass? It's got slid out of play by the corner flag. You know, it was a great ball and we've ended up scoring or nearly scoring from it. The fact was the statistics showed that he gave the ball away. Mm. And for me... The only statistic that counts is how many goals you score Spot on. and how many goals you let in. Yeah. After that, in my opinion, it's complete and utter nonsense. It tells you nothing about a player. If you've got a midfield player, it tells you nothing about a player's vision. It doesn't tell you how quickly he spots a pass. Mm. It doesn't tell you whether he likes to run with the ball and run at people and play people in. It doesn't tell you whether he likes to clip the ball over the back of defenders to try and play the strikers in. Mm. It doesn't tell you where he just whether he just gives it to the left back, gets it back, gives it to another midfield player, gets it back. What I call a lender of the ball. Yeah. It doesn't tell you. All it tells you is he's kept the ball. Well, yeah. so what? 100%. I, I look at my midfield players. I, I I do a number of podcasts, as you know. I do one with Udi as well. One yeah. of the greatest midfield players that we've ever had and, and in the world as well. And uh, and big run Atkinson. He was a better picker of winners. He was a better picker of winners at White City. I thought I <laughs> Uh, and and Big Rod, and we were talking about Jimmy Hogan in our last podcast, and Jimmy said, he, he used to say to, to the young guns, your midfield players, halfbacks, he'd say, you're like waiters in a restaurant, you serve the ball to your forwards, that's what your role is, and we don't see enough waiters on the football pitch, in my opinion, I think you're absolutely spot on. One waiter that I do love to watch is Jack Grealish, because I think he is one that holds on to the ball. He'll take players on, he'll drop his shoulder, he'll play the ball between lines, he'll make players come out of position. He can hurt players, he can hurt teams. Problem is, he's not playing a particularly good team himself. And, you know, there has been a number of uh, mooted rumours that he's, he's, he's off at the end of the season. But I think whenever he plays, he'll just go up and up and up. And we need players like Jack Grealish in this country, in the England team, and players that can make things happen. I think he's got a problem. Really? What, what, like what? Um, not a lot of clubs now make room for more than two or three individual players. Yeah. He's not going to get in Liverpool's team because they've got them. Man City have got them. Mm. You know, them top clubs have got them. Now, he may end up at a Man City, but he won't get a regular game there. Yeah. And his problem is he's too much of an individual player to play for a team with a line sixth, seventh or eighth. Mm. He's too much. He's He's got terrific ability. Yeah. He can see a pass. The problem is 
is what I call a loose player. He's got no real position. Mm. And unless you get a manager that can let him just go out and play, yeah. he's never, ever going to get to the potential he's at. And the problem you've got to get a manager who just lets you go out and play to a degree, mm-hmm. you've got to have some sort of discipline. Yes. But to a degree, you've got to be one of the top two or three clubs. Mm. I ain't too sure he's getting their team. Yeah. And that's his problem. He's too good to be lying in a team line seventh or eighth. Mm-hmm. He's not good enough for a team at the top. You know, when you look at Liverpool's team, who does he replace? Who? Well, pers- I mean, personally, me and Oddie, we, 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 done, uh, we were talking about him uh, the other day. I mean, Hudson thinks he's absolutely made on for Liverpool. To, to, cause I, and I agree. I think the one, the, the one thing, well, in the Liverpool team, you've got three up front. I'd have the two midfield players that they've got. You can pick any. But I think Grealish is better on the ball. And, and I think the one missing ingredient for me in that Liverpool team is someone that makes it happen. And I think a number 10, which is what Jack Grealish is, in my opinion. But they don't play with a number 10. No, this but again, that, that's but, but that's what I would do, Silk. I would change it. I, I, no, I would personally play. Changing, you're changing one of the best teams, the best team in England. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, second best. I think City are the best. Right. Well, you are also yeah. taking away from players that are playing there now. Because... You know the the top players they got there now. Mm. You know the the top the, the front three are fantastic players. hundred oh, percent. Right, but what you're doing then you're taking away from them, and you're going to say you are going to always have to change the way you play mm-hmm. to fit this guy. Now I don't see that. I, I listen. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I think he's a fantastic yeah. player. Yeah, he's a terrific player. But you've got to look at teams and say why the, 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 the best players in the team, when I say the best players, the match winners. Yes. You, know, you get fantastic centrals. You know, you, you look at Van Dijk, fantastic player. You look at the role that Wijnaldum plays. He, he's never out of position. He's always making the right decision on and off the ball. He's football brain. Is brilliant. He's not a greenish, but his football brain is brilliant and he suits the way that they play. You can, I mean, I will never, ever, ever forget being at Queen's Park Rangers. And Terry Venables bought me. I'd played for Terry at Crystal Palace. It's funny, actually, I always tell people the same story. I told it uh, at a dinner that I did all the talking at a couple of years ago, dinner for Stan Bowles. And Terry Venables was there, George Graham was there, it was packed. And I did all the talking and I told the story about Terry Venables, which is true. The first club that he was ever manager at was Crystal Palace. Who was the first player he ever brought to me? His next club was his next club was Queen's Park Rangers. Who was the first player he brought to the club? Me. His next club was Barcelona. I said, What happened? <laughs> <laughs> so I was all right, the palace and cute the other. As soon as he went to Barcelona and he talked silks now, I think I'd better leave him behind. Yeah. Now I I remember being at Queen's Park Rangers and we had a really good team. Yeah. We had Tony Curry, Glenn Roder, Mad Budgie in goal. We had Ian Gillard at left back, Shanksy was the right back, Steve Wicks, terrific player, yeah. Terry Fennick, Simple Simon. We had a real good team, a really good team. Terry went and bought a player 
who in my mind was a terrific player. Lovely, lovely, terrific player. I will never forget Terry said, you made a mistake. We were flying. When he bought me, we, were, we only had two teams underneath in what is now the championship. And we took off up the league. We went 15 games without getting beat. Yeah. And we went into joint fourth in the league. We were fifth, but the same number of points as the team in fourth. And I remember being on the training ground and Terry said to me, I'm going to bring a player in. Terry always used to ask me my advice about players. Yeah. He always told people, the best judge of a player ever. I'll tell you a little story about that in a minute from Crystal Palace. Quite the 100% true story. When he told me who was bringing in, I said, he won't suit our team. We won't go up. He said, but Silk, he's a fantastic player. I said, yeah, he is. He said, he's brilliant. He's probably near enough on the same level as Tony Curry. He's brilliant. Brilliant. But he doesn't suit the way we play TV. He doesn't suit it. He wants to give the ball to get it back to play the next ball. It's not right for the players we've got. Mm. Our players are get the ball, give it, go. Get the ball, give it, go. He's get the ball, give it, get it back, go. He's a lender of the ball with his first pass. But Terry bought him. And Terry said to me years later, he was spot on. He was wrong for our team, wasn't he? I said, yeah, but he was a fantastic player. Jerry France, he was a fantastic player, but not for that team. And you get certain players <clears throat> in certain clubs. You go, do you know what? What a fantastic player, but not for that team. Yeah. See, Terry used to love playing out from the back. So Glenn Roder was exceptional. He'd come out the back, step over the ball, play in the midfield, play out wide. Terrific footballer, Glenn Roder. Mm. Terrific footballer. If you'd have took him to a club where they wanted two centre-halves who just defended and headed the ball... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Glenn Roder never get a game. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to look at the team. Yeah. And you've got to look at where do you go? Where do you place a player mm-hmm. in the team? Yeah. Jack Grealish, for me, hasn't got a position. He's got mm-hmm. no position. But what a wonderful player. Yeah. Wonderful player but with no position. Yeah. So you've got to find a club that can allow him to have that little bit of a free role, yeah? Yep. Because if you play him in a position, yep. you might as well not buy him. Mm. You might as well not buy him. You've got to play him loose. Yep. So somehow you've got to find, if you've got a front three, you've then got to find a midfield three, uh, a midfield two who sit and just let him play. Or if you're playing with two up front, You've got to find a position in midfield where you say to him, make things happen. Make things happen because that's what he does. And he's been a little bit lucky at Aston Villa. He's a bit a bit unlucky. He's unlucky in a team that is, has not had any you know, success at the minute. Mm-hmm. But he's also been lucky because he is their star player. He's allowed to basically do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So in a way, he's been a little bit lucky. If he'd have had to be more disciplined... You want to see the player because his game is not about discipline. His game is about get me on the ball. I've got to have the ball. Mm. And if you watch him, he'll go and pick the ball up off the left back, the right back, the left winger, the right winger, the centre forward. He wants to get the ball from everyone. So he hasn't got a position. If I had him in my team, if I had a championship winning team, I wouldn't buy him. Yeah. If I had a team who were lying 6th, 7th, 8th or ninth, I'd build my attack around him. Yeah. 
and I'd become a top five team, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. See, if I had an Arsenal, yeah. if I was Arsenal, I'd buy. Yeah. And I'd build the way I played up front mm. around him. If I had a Liverpool, I couldn't buy him because my three front players are absolutely brilliant. And they, on the service they get now, they can't get any better. They can only get worse. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't buy him. Yeah. I'd buy him at Arsenal. If I was Arsenal, I'd have bought him yesterday. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's... And at Arsenal, he'd look a world beater. Yeah. At Liverpool, I think you finally, after six games, you want to get a game. But mm-hmm. going back to judgment of players, I must tell you something that happened at Crystal Palace. I swear to God, this is true. Go I signed with Crystal Palace. I go to Crystal Palace. We were already about four or five days into the pre-season. So I missed the first four or five days, but I'd done all my running and I was fit anyway. So first session we had, Terry Venables called me over. And Terry knew me from when I was 16 years old. And he was still playing. And he always used to tell people, whenever he tells me a player, never made a mistake. For some reason, I have no idea why, my judgment of players has always been fantastic. When I was a coach, I was a brilliant one-on-one coach. Yeah? yeah? Brilliant. But give me a back four. Yeah, like what I was coach at Leighton Orient with Frank Clark. And he watched me the first two or three days and he went to me, Silky, absolutely brilliant. I want you to take the back four today. I said, where do you want me to take him? to the cafe or the lab books? <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? I said, I can't coach a back four. He said, but I've watched you. He said, you're brilliant. I went, no, you've watched me with one or two players. After two players, it's all downhill. I actually don't know what I'm doing. He went, but I've made you player coach. I said, that ain't my fault. <laughs> I swear that's true. I didn't have a clue what to do. Drop off, push up, drop off. Yeah. Not a clue. Like, clueless. Mm. But show me an individual player. Yeah. So he said to me, look, I've got a player here that was in the reserves last year when Malcolm was manager, Malcolm Allison. And he said to me, he played up front as a number nine. He played the centre and midfield and he played sometimes at centre half. And he said, the first week or 10 days that you're here watch him because he finished the top goal scorer but I'm not too sure he's a centre forward he might be a central midfield player I'm not sure have a look at him and after 8 or 10 days whatever it is let me know we had a first training session we had a break because it's pre-season so we have like hour and a half break before we do the afternoon as we're walking across the pitch, I've said to him, T- I never called him Gaffer, always yeah. called him TV. Yeah. I went in TV. He said, What's up, Sil? I went to him uh, right back. And he went, What? I said, Right back. He went, What's a right back? So the player you asked me to watch, he said, What are you talking about, right back? He said, You've only been here five minutes. He said, You ain't even had a chance to watch him. So he's a right back. He went, Sil, he's never played right back in his life. I went, I don't care. He's a right back. So he said, on what basis do you make that? I said, all right, shut your eyes. Never forget this. I said, shut your eyes. He said, what do you mean shut my eyes? He said, shut your eyes. Just close your eyes. So he closed his eyes. I said, right, now I'm going to tell you everything he done well and how he did it. Not what he didn't do, because you're never going to pick a player on what they don't do. Yeah. You're only going to pick a player on what he can do. Now I'll tell you what he did. And I told him how he plays and what he did well. 
And I said, right, open your eyes. He opened his eyes. I said, what position have I just described? He said, you've described the fullback. Mm. I said, I'm telling you, that's what he is. So after about another five days, we go to Holland. And the second day in Holland, we've got our first game. And all we've done is train as normal. And Terry picks the team and he goes, in goal, there's a lad called Tony Byrne. He said, Bert, his nickname was Burnley. He goes, Burnley, you're in goal. He said, back four. Fish, that was his nickname. His name was Paul Hinchwood. He went, Fish, Taffy, was Ian Evans, JC, Jimmy Cannon, and Kenny, Kenny Sampson, left back. Yeah. So Paul Hinchwood put his hand up. He's gone, Gaffer. He said, what? He said, you've just named me as a right back. I think you've got the wrong player. So he's gone, no, you're playing right back. He said, but I've never played right back in my life. Terry pointed at me. He went, see him. So Fish has gone, who? Silks. He's gone, yeah. He said, you ain't any good. Blame him because he's told me that you're a right back. <laughs> now, all the players are looking at me like I'm mad, yeah? <laughs> and he must have been thinking, what's Terry talking about, Yeah. We've gone out, we won 5 0. He was brilliant. Within a year, he was playing England under 21s. Yeah. And had a fantastic career as a right back. So everybody can look at a player differently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to Jack Grealish, he's got no position. He hasn't got a position, but he'll win your games. Yeah. But he's got to be in a team where you can allow him to play like that. Mm-hmm. And the best teams in the world. In England, in Germany, in Italy, they don't allow you to play like that. Mm. You have to have discipline. So he needs to be at Arsenal. That's where he needs to be, Arsenal. Be perfect for Arsenal, perfect. A perfect fit. Contracts running out on the 30th of June, as they do. Uh, League One are suggesting that some of the teams aren't going to be able to pick a five-a-side team, let alone 11-a-side with all the subs. Is that an excuse? Because it just takes away what the real problem is, the financial implications of getting the season done, and it's easier to blame that and players rather than blaming themselves. I think there's a number of reasons. By the way, if you'd like to pass on my number to them clubs... Tell them I can't run anymore, but I've got great experience. <laughs> yeah, and I'm willing I'm willing to play for nothing. Yeah. Um I think that in my looking at it, in my experience of football, yeah, I don't think it's one particular reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you add all them things you've just said together, yeah, you end up with a, a, a real dodgy situation mm-hmm. and there's no doubt there are clubs I mean in the championship Middlesbrough are one they've got loads of players out of contract yeah now if you go back down the leagues you go let's say to league one league two and you've got players out of contract in the club if that player hasn't got another club lined up yeah and you say to him look I would like you to stay you're going to get a game yeah you haven't got a club. We've got another six, seven, eight, nine, ten games to go, whatever it is. Yep. And you're going to put yourself on show. Mm-hmm. Me as an agent, I'll tell them to play. Absolutely. No question, I'll tell them to play. You've got no other club. Yep, 100%. Now, if I've got a club, if I've got a club, there's no way they're going to play. So if they get injured, yeah. they're in trouble. Yep. 
So you've got those two scenarios. There's no question there are a lot of players out of contract. Mm -hmm. And I've got no doubt there are some players who have already got clubs lined up. Yeah. But the ones that haven't will play, unless they're idiots. And their agents, if they're any good, the problem is with a lot of agents, I'm not going to say all agents, I'm not going to tar everyone with the same brush, it's not fair. Yeah. But a lot of agents have never played. Mm. So they look at everything from a business side. My biggest problem as an agent, and it has always been my biggest problem, is that I don't come from a business side. I've always come from a football side. Yeah. Never, ever from a business side. I mean, I've taken players to, to clubs and, I mean, I'll never forget when I bought Mark Schwarzer. I brought him over and took him on trial at Manchester City. Mm. And Steve Koppel was the manager, but Steve was having a lot of personal problems. And Steve was manager. He played two games. The second game he played, I got a phone call from Chris Kamara. And Cammy said to me, Silks, I've got to have your player at Bradford. And Bradford then had just got into the championship. So I must have him. Mark Schwartz. Yeah. Now, we had a choice because Manchester City wanted him. Yeah? It was never, ever going to be about money for me. Mm -hmm. So I never, ever, ever discussed the contract with Manchester City. Yeah. I phoned Mark Schwartz up. I said, how much do you trust me? He said, well, you're the one that's brought me here. And whatever you want to do, I trust you. His girlfriend at the time, who became his wife, Paloma, had a little bit of a problem with it. So I said, look, if you want to get another agent, get another agent. And to be fair to Mark, five minutes later, he called me back. He went, no, 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 no. And Paloma come on. She said, look, I apologise. I was wrong. They thought that maybe I, I was choosing Bradford because Bradford had offered me a lot of money. Hmm. Well, you tried doing a deal with Jeffrey Richmond. I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> if he give you 10 grand, it was like a fortune. Lovely, lovely guy, but he didn't want to give you any money, but what a lovely guy. Yeah. I spoke to Chris Kamara about Bradford, and I spoke to him about what he was doing with the team and how he saw Mark Schwartz as a goalkeeper. Hmm. And by then, Steve Cobb had left. Man City and Phil Neal was in temporary charge. And I phoned Phil up. I said to him, Phil, look, no disrespect against the club or you, but I'm taking March Horses to Bradford. Purely a football decision. Now, everyone in the world would have thought, and I'm sure, I'm sure that every agent around at that time would have recommended Manchester City. But I just felt there was something not quite right at the club. As it turned out, for the next few years, Manchester City had a nightmare. Mark Schwarzer went to Bradford. I got a deal where if anyone offered over a million pounds, he could leave. They paid £140,000 for him, Bradford. And he played about 13 or 14 games. And Everton came in and Middlesbrough came in. We went and spoke to Everton. Joe Royal was manager. Lovely, lovely. Didn't take the chairman, weren't too clever. So we went and spoke to Everton, then when I met with Middlesbrough, Brian Robson and Viv Anderson, I'd known forever. And I said to Schwartzy, right, let's do a deal with Middlesbrough. He went, Silks, if that's what you say, that's what we're going to do. Had an amazing career. Yes. But I was all about football. Now, people have said to me, the deals you've done, you should have retired. You should have millions. And I said, probably, 
to the detriment of myself, it's always been about not what I'm getting. It's yeah. been about the right first the right club for the player and then do the right deal. And what I've done for every player, I've pushed clubs to the hill. Yeah. And then when it's come to me, they've got to me, well, there's nothing left to pay you. You know, you have to get your 20 grand or 30 grand from the player. And, the, and I'll never forget deals that I did at the beginning. I should have been getting 100 grand. I did two deals for Millwall. I, I won't go into the deals, but I should have got 100,000 on one and at least 150,000 on the other. Yeah. I got five grand for the first one and two and a half grand for the other one. Mm. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah. All I was interested in was football. Yeah. And that is how I still am now. To me, the player, the right club, comes before anything. So yeah. a lot of agents will look from a business point of view. What's the best financial deal they can do for their client? Mm -hmm. And then what they're getting, you know, what, what, what they end up with after they do the best deal for the client. With me, it's always been what is the right club for the client. Yeah. And you've look, got to look at the age of the player. And is this his last move? Yep. Or is this just the beginning of the career? Absolutely. And again, that leads us to Lyle Taylor, who's come out, who's contracted till the 30th of June at Charlton, and has said that he won't be playing, and has received dog's abuse. In fact, there was a piece today, he was saying that he hopes that the Charlton fans can forgive him and they had a great relationship, and hopefully they still can. Now, me looking at that situation is... The boy has been about for 15 years at about 30, well, a similar amount of football clubs, many of them on loan. He's 30, he'll be 31 in March. He signed a pre-contract agreement, I believe, with another club, which is worth a lot of money. Why is he going to jeopardise that? He's not. As a football player, you have to think about you, yourself and I. It's your career, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's... You know, if you go to another club, yeah. uh, how how I look at it is this: mm. when a club gives you a contract, yeah, yeah, that contract lasts until the end of the playing football season, which yeah. is normally the second week in May, yeah. roughly. Okay, that's it. That's the end of it. Now, if you then have negotiated to deal with another club. That deal completely hinges on you passing a medical yeah. on the 1st or the 2nd of July whenever you turn up there. You've yeah. got to pass that medical, otherwise you've got no contract. Mm. Yeah. Now, I'm not privy to whether Charlton have offered him another deal or not. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. The only way you can get a player like that to stay who has, who has got that situation is if you put it in writing that this is what you've been offered at the other club. This is how many years. We will equal it. Yeah. We'll equal it. And if you play and get injured, you've got a contract with us for the next two or three or four years, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. That puts something into the player's mind. Now, yeah. what do I want to do? Do I or don't I? But it's still got to be his decision. Of course it has. Not anyone else's. It's his career. Besides, yeah. you know what? I'm going to the other club. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm but I'm going, then you go. Yeah. You know, if, if if you sign a contract in any walk of life, whatever that contract is, mm -hmm. 
A club should only expect you to be there for that length of time. Absolutely. No other length of time. If they wanted you to be there longer, why didn't they give you a longer contract? Correct. It really is that simple. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, to, to be fair, the boy's probably been too honest because he's been all around the, the, the media. You know, the media, like he's like you alluded to earlier, it's an absolute frenzy. But the only consideration that that player has is is for him. You know, his missus and his kids and his well being and his future. Now, if he's if he's going up a league or or even two leagues, he's got the dream move. I, if that was me, there's no way I'd be jeopardising that by playing. It's not his fault that the season's restarting in no, the middle exactly. of June. It should have ended in bloody May. And if he exactly. did get an injury in May, end of April or May, probably he would be okay to pass that medical in July and he's up and running. But because yeah. it's so late and he got an injury, then the, his future's on the line now. No, uh, lots of players going to have bad backs. Yeah. As a football club, what Charlton should have done. Yeah. They should have come out with a statement and said yeah. that or any of our players that are out of contract, yep. we've asked them if it's possible to stay on, can they? Mm. We fully understand if they can't, if they're committed to another club. Yep. And we would like to thank them greatly for their services. Absolutely. And we fully understand their decision and quite right decision of not wanting to play. Yeah. That's what this should come out of. It diffuses all situations, and yeah. it's the truth. It, you know, you're not telling a lie. No. You know, the, the the player could have gone down and said, "I've got coronavirus." <laughs> exactly. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> he could have said anything. You know, he could have. But he's been honest, and, and yeah. good luck to him. And if he's got himself a two or three year deal somewhere, good luck to him. Absolutely, 100%. But again, I think it's the way fans look at football players and they look at it from a fan's point of view, but rarely look at it from the player's point of view. I look at it from the player's point of view because if a club want you out, they're going to find a million and one reasons to bomb you out. You yeah, know, exactly. It's always been the same. Yeah, you know, never change, the club will it? They get rid of you. Exactly, you know? yeah. Yeah. So it works both ways. Of course it, it does. With, with supporters, supporters are even having a go at players or they're having yeah. a go at agents. Or yeah. Guys. Yeah. Drives you mental. Oh, you know? absolutely. How busy are you finally, Silk, at the moment? Um, as I say, it is starting up again. Have you got many deals in the air? Obviously, we can't press you for names and never would. But how busy are you at the moment? And this transfer window, would you like to get a big rock and boulder and just smash it so transactions can happen throughout the season up to the, what was it, the end of March as it used to be? Yeah, I, I, I've never understood transfer windows. No, I don't. I don't get it. For the life of me, I don't, don't get it. Hmm? No, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of uh, managers now who say, yeah, it should finish early. They're normally the managers who have got unlimited funds and they're at the top of the league. Yep. Yeah. So, of course, it suits them, the poor buckers down the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> they're under pressure. And also, what it does as well, when you limit the time of buying anything, price goes up. Of course it does. Salary goes up. You know, agents hold clubs to ransom some of the time or a lot of the time. And clubs who are buying buying a player from a club, the selling club, hold the buying club to ransom, yeah. whereas they would normally think, well, we'll take 10 million, we want 15 or you don't get him, or we want 20 or you don't get him. It's, I'm not sure 
who it benefits. Mm. I have looked at it from all different ways. Other than the teams at the top of the league, yeah. benefits no one. It doesn't create an open market. It doesn't create fair competition. It always works. I don't know why it changed. Mm -hmm. It always works. So in my opinion, and again, it's only my opinion, I think it would be better all round for everyone if you could move at any time. You know, you get a player at a club and he thinks he's going to get a game. And by October, he's not getting a game. Yeah. He's now got to sit there till January. When you get to January, clubs say, well, we don't want him because he ain't played all season. He hasn't yep. had a game since yep. last, mate. I was like, leave me alone. Yeah. It is a nightmare. It helps no player. It helps no club because the club's stuck with someone's salary. He's not getting a game and they can't ship them out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help anybody. And I think if, if they had a, the transfer window all year round, yep. it would bring some sort of normality back into football. I honestly believe that the worst thing that has happened in football financially and to put everything sky high is the transfer window. Yeah. It has been the biggest problem. If you're going to buy clothes and you've only got 12 weeks in a year to buy clothes, mm. you're going to get ripped off. Yeah, you got to buy a car and you've got 12 weeks to buy that car, but you've only got eight weeks in the summer and four weeks in the winter to buy that car, you're going to get held to ransom. And this is what's happened with football. Have you ever known a house market? You can only buy a house three months in a year. I find it absolutely ridiculous. You can only buy it. It's the only Mm. walk of life other than fishing, but fishing is because of the cold water, so fish disappear. So that's not by choice. It's just where they go. I don't know one business in the whole of the world where you can only do transactions for 25% of the time. I've never heard of it in my whole life in anything, whether you're buying furniture, carpets, televisions, cars, boats, anything. Anything that you want to buy, you can buy it all year round. You can't buy a footballer. And I find it quite bizarre. And I know a lot of people moan, say players earn too much money. I know a lot of clubs moan. They say we're being held to ransom. Then get rid of the transfer window. Yeah. Get rid of it. I'm sure if all the clubs went to FIFA and they said, as an association, we are not doing the transfer window. We're going back to how it used to be. There is no law of the land that tells you you can't. They just abide by the law of FIFA. Mm -hmm. The problem you've got, a lot of laws of FIFA, a lot of laws of the Football Association, they're actually legal. But because people just do it, it doesn't matter. Mm. But they are not legal in a court of law. If you go to a court of law, you know, if you took this to a court of law and said, well, look, I'm being stopped from transactions and it's sending my club bankrupt. Yeah. Name me a court that would say, well, sorry, that's how it's got to be. Hmm. No one, because you're going against English statutes and you're going against European law. I would love it to come back to how it was. I'd love it. I think it would bring prices down. It would make salaries more even. I think everybody would be happier. Players would still get very good money. It would bring 
more of a level playing field in in my opinion and my experience of football. Do you think this coronavirus or whatever it is that we're going through, COVID-19, I mean, I know what we're told, but I, I don't actually believe anything. I believe nothing I read and I believe little that I see unless I see it with my own eyes. Do you think that's going to change the landscape, whereas clubs have or purported to lose a bit of money? I think Tottenham have had a loan, um, I, I heard, coming back in the car this afternoon. Do you think the transfers now will get, more sensible, shall we say, instead of well, the two hundred million, which which well, looks as though that's completely out the window. No, now, I mean it? they'll, ha- they'll yeah. have to at the moment. Yeah. They're nearly all clubs because yeah. there is no finance coming in. There's TV money, yeah. but because of what's happened now, they've had to pay some of the TV money of back. They yep. They've also got no income from uh, through the gates. Yeah. They can't go and sell season tickets. They've had to pay a portion of the season ticket money back. Yeah because people can't watch the game. So not the contract of buying a season ticket mm-hmm. is part of a contract. Well, the clubs haven't been able to fulfil that contract, so they've got to pay back. You've got sponsors who are going to want their money back. Yep. Who's going to want to put millions into sponsorship when they can't even go to a game, they can't be seen, There's no, their name can't be in a programme because there are no programmes. So it will definitely have a massive effect right now. Yeah. For sure, there will be nowhere near as many transfers done this window. For sure, there won't be near, nowhere near as many. There will maybe there be one or two big ones, but generally mm-hmm. the prices will come down. And the worst thing for the players, their salary is going to come down. Yeah. Where a player might think he's going to get X amount when he moves, he's either got to stay where he is off or accept that he's not going to get what he thought he was going to get because the money at the moment for sure is not there. I mean, if I owned a Premier League club, now again, I'm not talking about the major clubs, yep. the normal run-of-the-mill clubs. If mm-hmm. I owned a Premier League club, do you know what I would be doing now, didn't you? Go on. Trying to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'd be doing. I'd say, but does anyone out there wants to buy it, whatever valuation they make of it, as long as they're not taking the mickey out of me, mm-hmm. yeah, good luck, take it, shake their hand, move on because it's going to be like this for the next one and a half to two years because of the, the the fallout from what is happening now because they're saying that there may not even be crowds until the new year or maybe not even till next season. Yep, absolutely. But remember, we can have a crowd if we stand in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask Man City and Man United if they want to play their game in my garden. <laughs> As yeah, long as you social there. distance, I mean, you get quite a crowd circling in the back of your garden oh, as well. You, don't worry about that. There'd be a few <laughs> hundred here. <laughs> the ones I can't fit in, I put out on the backfield. Uh, top stuff. So when you're looking at lots of these foreign players that have come over here for, well, largely for the money, because we have been playing, paying inflated, ridiculous prices, within the next 12 months, you can see a lot of them national staying and playing in their respective leagues rather than coming over here for the money because the money's not going to be here so the Premier League could change and things do change in football and there's no reason why perhaps in 12 months time or a couple of years time the Bundesliga could be the top league or the Spanish league or the Italian league again because they were once upon a time wasn't they nothing lasts forever well I have to tell you Hmm? that I think it's very under what was the word I'd use? 
it's underrated the money that people get abroad and it's overrated here yeah you'll always get a few players over here on exceptional money yeah yeah but i don't bet they don't reach what cristiano ronaldo's getting or lionel messi they're right so we're all so every everywhere has has an exception yeah if you're looking at the general wage of players yeah i would say players in germany get paid far more than in england really Oh yeah, yeah, no question. Oh, yeah. See, everything they do abroad is net, net, net. There's no such thing as gross payment. Yeah, everyone gets nets. You know, even if you look at a club, let's say, even in Holland, look at Ajax. They got players. Let's say gross money, two, two, two and a quarter, two and a half million, forty, forty-five grand a week. Mm-hmm. You go, well, it's not a fortune, but they get a fortune in bonuses and their cost of living is a fraction of what it is here. Yeah. So you always get, you know, you go to the Bundesliga, you go and have a look at what the players are earning at Bayern Munich. Mm. People's hair would fall out. Yeah. I don't think they understand how much players abroad earn. You know, some of them, you take the top three, four, five players in clubs like that, they're getting five million euro net. Yeah. It's like 90, 100 grand a week net. Mm. So, and it, it's a, a bit of a fallacy here when they say a player's earning £250,000 a week or 300 grand a week, but he might have earned that if his club's just won the league because the bonuses are huge, Champions League bonuses are huge. Yeah. But I bet a lot of them, their basic salary is nowhere near that. Now, yeah. we know it's phenomenal money. I mean, it's like crazy money. But then again, so is what Tom Cruise earns and when he makes a film, crazy money. Yeah, yeah I could show you a lot. He's getting $25, $30 million a film. Mm. So there's always, there's always the exception to the rule in football, in American soccer, in American football, in basketball, endorsements, untold money. There's always the exceptions to the rule. But if you take the middle to the bottom clubs in the Premier League, and take the middle middle to the bottom clubs in Germany, I bet there's hardly any difference in the salaries. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Not everyone here gets big money. Yep. You know, there's of course there's a lot of players get terrific money. 70, 80, 90, 100,000 pound a week gross. It is unbelievable money, like incredible money. But mm. there's a lot of players not getting anywhere near half that and their careers might only last for five years yeah and again it is a lot of money it's a fortune yeah, yeah? but it's not what is perceived to be yeah everybody thinks that all the players get it. you know i've seen players playing now in in division one yeah you're like 1200 quid a week yeah mm-hmm. well you know my pal works on the on the railways gets a grand a week yeah so it, it's all balances out. And at the end of the day, football is an entertainment. It is on television. The television pay an awful lot of money. Yep. So, of course, they get paid good wages, but they get good wages in Germany. They get good wages in Italy. Players at Juventus are on fantastic money. Mm. Players at Barcelona are on fantastic money. Real Madrid, fantastic money. Atletico Madrid, yep. fantastic money. But sometimes... It gets blown up a little bit here more than what maybe it should do. Yeah. Because they don't make any comparisons. Yeah. And like the media, they just blow things up a bit. It's just 
how it is. It's not right or wrong or bad or good. It's just how it is. It is what it is. And it's time to go, Silk. So thank you very much for your time, sir, till we reconvene and do part two. But we're going to go out on a record every episode. You're going to pick it because you have got the most extraordinary taste in music, largely soul. So uh, what record do you want us to go out with, mate? Well, I'll tell you um, two little story on the record I'd like to go out. Very quick story. Yep. I had a, a music business with... A guy called David Guest, who sadly yeah. died. Um, David died in April 2016. And we used to do these tours. And there was one group I always wanted. I said, we've got to get them, we've got to get them, we've got to get them. There's one song that I'd love. And I would love one day to get up on stage and sing it with them. And between us, we managed to get hold of the group. And I spoke with the lead singer, who was still the lead singer. The two brothers were still the lead singers even though the other two had changed, yeah. they were still there. And it was unbelievable to get them here. Tell me if you remember the name. The song was called Miss Grace. The Times. The Times. Times. Yeah, Miss Grace. And I got them here, and on the last night of our tour, yeah. sadly David had died, so I was having to do the tour on my own, but with the help from a friend he had. And... I've gone on stage and they invited me on. They said, come and silk, come on and sing Miss Grace with us. Uh, I've got so many soul songs, Billy Paul, me and Mrs. Jones, love it. When Billy died, his wife asked me to get on stage and sing it and have it videoed so she could send it to her. So I did that. Nowhere near as good as Billy, but I did my best. But Miss Grace is not a song you hear that much. It was a big hit in the day, though, Silk, but wasn't it? Massive song. Hit. Yeah, and you don't hear it, and it is. For me, there's not many what I call great songs. There's probably 30 or 40 or 50. Yeah. This, for me, was a great song. Was that on Philadelphia International? Was that one of Gamble and Huff's times, Miss Grace? I'm sure it was, yeah. you know. I'll tell you what, even I couldn't tell you that. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was a Gamble but, and Huff. But lovely guys. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely gentlemen and i was going to bring them over on tour last year and the tour i was doing was called off and i was going to do it this year and obviously i was going to do it in november that went to pieces because i it i start to arrange it in march yeah and that went to pieces and i was having denise williams was coming over to sing and frida Payne and people like that but sadly not to be so maybe the following year but for me, that I love soul music. I love pop music. Back in the day, I used to love Stevie Winwood. I used to love the Small Faces, Ichiku Park, Lazy Sunday. Loved all that. Yeah. But my real love is soul music. Don't think there's any R&B and soul. So we're going to go out with Times and that Miss Grace. Till next time, you carry on looking for money, Penny Pal. Stop, <laughs> <laughs> man, and thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.